Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now, your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, I'm going to talk about year-end thought process. Each year, when I come to the end of the year... Uh, it always comes to my mind, this song is called, you know, there'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. Great little country western song. But it's true. While you're in there playing the game all year long, you count. I actually keep very close tabs on how profitable each of my many, many businesses are. Um, but I don't take the money out. I don't like pay myself every month out of my business. I wait until the end of the year, tally it all up. That way, if there's ever... A, a weak month or poor month or a bad month, whatever. It's just a dip. It's not like, oh my gosh, I have to worry about there being enough money to keep that company running. There's money built up in the companies all year long, every year. And at the end of the year, we figure out what the profit is and we pay the taxes that we have to pay. And the rest is mine. And then I take it out. Then you're at a situation where now you've got a lump sum of cash here again. And, of course, you know, we keep a little cash around all the time because it's operating capital, for one thing. That's why I say we keep it in the companies for operating capital. We also keep cash around for rainy days and problems and challenges. And I also like to keep a little cash around, uh, keep we call keeping the powder dry in case something falls into my lap that if I bought it, I could make a killing with it. All that aside, at some point, the money becomes too deep. The cash position is too deep. And cash just sitting there doesn't earn you anything. Even if it's in a savings account, it does nothing. Even if it's in a bond, it does nothing. A CD does nothing. Those, those things don't earn any money. So you have to get it back out there and get it doing something. And so at the end of the year, January is the end of uh, my year ends in December, but I do my accounting in January. And my, all my accountants get back to me and say, okay, Dell, here's what we ended up with. Here's where we're at. And now I know what I've got to work with, and I start sucking money out of the companies. At that point, I have to decide what I'm going to do with that money. I always go back to my three rules. Rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, there's got to be cash flow. And rule number three, you can't get rich slow. So I've had these rules now for 30 years. I've heard many, many people copy them in different variations and forms. Uh, but I've held them fast for 30 years ever since I started uh, because of the principles and the foundation of what I believe in. And to whatever extent my success is, it's the, it is the foundation for that success. But rule number one has always been don't lose money. So I'm going to talk about that one a little bit here today. Uh, to start out with, and that is this. People have always thought that was really crazy, really stupid when I start the seminar with don't lose money. You go, come on, Dell, everybody loses money. And I basically have to disagree with you. Not everybody loses money. People fail at things. There's things you can fail at, but you don't lose your money. You don't lose your principal. I could have a rent house and the tenant move out, and I'm not making rent that month. 
while I clean it back up and get it back on the market. But I didn't lose my money. My money's still in the house. Uh, during the pandemic, we had apartments. And they said, okay, you can't evict people. So some people who lost their jobs, and even some people that were just idiots, didn't pay some rent. Because we had multiple, multiple units and very few percentage of people are really that stupid, we didn't lose the, the apartments. The apartments are fine. So when you say don't lose your money, we're really saying don't lose your invested capital. Will Rogers, which is a great Texas poet, once said, don't talk to me about the return on my investment until you talk to me about the return of my investment. How do I get my money back? I want my money. And so I started thinking about it this morning going like, I guess I've always believed because what I've done was real estate and real estate's really hard to lose money and you have to really do it improperly to lose money in real estate. Why? Because you have this big old physical asset that's not going anywhere. And if it burns down or gets blown down by a storm, you've got insurance to protect it. So the asset's really hard to get rid of. You have to let it waste away and it usually takes a good 10 or 20 years for it to waste away and not be worth much. And that means you're a slumlord because you let it waste away. Waste being wear out type of a deal. So it's really hard to lose money in real estate in that term of losing your invested capital. Real estate also tends to go up in value. Very infrequently does real estate ever go down in value. I've seen it happen. 2008 real estate went down in value, uh, which I loved because the real estate I owned Although it went down in value, I, I had bought it for $10,000 a door. It was up to about $40,000 a door, and it went back down to about $30,000 a door. Solution, I didn't sell. What did I do? I bought other real estate, 50 cents on the dollar. Got rich, probably one of my best years ever, 2008, 2009. A lot of people got wiped out in 2008, 2009. It was, I think I tripled my net worth that year, those two years. So it was a good time for me because... My real estate might have gone down in value, but I didn't feel it. My income didn't go down at all. But if my value of my real estate went down, I didn't feel that either because I didn't sell it during that period of time. I bought other people who were in distress because they couldn't pay their bills, because they weren't set up right. They had too much debt, et cetera, et cetera. So I started thinking to myself, okay, where am I going to put my money at? And, you know, the first thing I think of is, okay, what is safe? And second thing I think of, does it have cash flow? Those are the two things. And then the third one, the third variable is, do they go up in value? Is there capital gains? And then there's really a fourth one, and that is, is there any tax advantages adjusted to it? Uh, effectively coming from it so that I can earn the income on that investment with less taxes or no taxes, so to speak. And so when I looked at the possibilities out there, I'd say, okay, I need some investments that will earn me a lot of cash. And right now, I'm just killing it with grocery stores. So I went out and put offers on four more grocery stores, effectively increasing my income by about $40,000 a month immediately upon those deals. And uh, that, I'm now up to about 11. That will bring me up to 11 grocery stores, which would be about a, a million to a year in income from grocery stores. 
And that's just the grocery stores. Now, the grocery stores are commercial real estate, so they depreciate. They don't depreciate as, as well as apartments do, but they do depreciate. So there is some tax advantage to that. And do they go up in value? Yes. Uh, during the last year or two that I bought them, they've gone up from cap rates, have gone up one or two points. The cap rates have gone down one or two points, which means that they've gone up about 20 or 30% in value in just a year or two. And uh, maybe even more than that, maybe, yeah, about 30%. So it's a situation where they fit all the, the buttons, but they don't have massive depreciation. So I also put an offer on two apartment complexes. Each of them make me about $50,000 a month in income, but each of them has massive depreciation, enough where you have so much depreciation, you'd cover the income of the property and another half a million to a million dollars worth of write-offs in a, up and above the cash flow of the property. So they're very much a tax hedge. And apartments are going up in value radically. I bought an apartment, Class A apartment, in one part of town here in Houston. Bought it three years ago, and I paid, I think it was $22,000 a door. And the one right now, it's worth $32,000 a door. So it's gone up $10,000 a door. You know, that that's quite a bit, guys. It's quite a bit. It's a tremendous increase in value. Not to mention the cash flow for those three years. We didn't count that into that gain, but it's just the capital gain part of it. And the depreciation was unbelievable, especially after Trump passed that new special tax law where you could heavily accelerate depreciation on this stuff if you put it in service at the right time, which just happened to be when Trump was there at the time I was buying this property. So it just clicked. Today, we're talking about the year-end accounting, thought process, redirection of funds, you know, how do you tie it all together from last year, 2021? Now we're in 2022. How do we get started with this year's investing? As I said before we went to break, I'm currently right now looking at my options, and I've made a couple offers. I made four offers on grocery stores, made two offers on apartment complexes. Uh, I haven't got responses back on any of those offers yet, but, um, you know, I've just started. So why do, you, why do you buy apartments and grocery stores? Well, they're both real estate, uh, and they're both businesses that people need. They're both businesses that during the pandemic, I did not see any apartment complexes go vacant. You just think about it. What about other businesses? You saw businesses just shut down, close their doors, go out of business. I didn't see a single apartment complex shut its doors anywhere. Boom. No. Maybe a few tenants couldn't pay, but there was all kinds of COVID relief programs to take care of that. It's essential. It's an essential business, and grocery stores were an essential business. I didn't see any grocery stores shut their doors, ever, anywhere, didn't, not even one. So I figure, you know, you got to be in those businesses that you don't lose money. Rule one, don't lose money. Don't get shut down. I thought to myself, as I was preparing for today, I was thinking, well, what does get shut down? So I looked up uh, how many businesses went under during 2021. And here's the list of the, of the websites that came up. Running list of 2021 retail bankruptcies, 32 bankruptcy filings chalked up to COVID-19, list of retail company bankruptcies and closings of stores in 2021. Here are the companies that went bankrupt during 2021. 6.2 million unable to work because employers closed. Bankruptcy filings continue to fall sharply. There are 10 big companies that went bankrupt due to and have one-third of small business in the U.S. closed due to COVID. That's have, as in the question, have one-third of all small businesses closed. I actually read that when it said, yes, one-third of the small businesses closed. That doesn't mean they'll all stay closed. Some of them will come back. And, you know, it started, it caught my attention. Man, 
What kind of businesses go out of business and why? So I went to this one here by Kiplinger. It's the 32 bankruptcies chalked up to this uh, COVID. And I went in there and read what they were. And the first one was Washington Prime Group. Headquarter, Columbus, Ohio, number of employees unknown, locations over 100 properties. Uh, shopping center, real estate investment trust, describes itself as recognized leader in ownership, management, and acquisition and development of retail properties. Company says its properties attract more than 400 million guests every year. However, in 2020, was anything but a normal year, and its number of guests plummeted. Pandemic forced temporary mall store closures and kept shoppers at home. Boom. Bankruptcy. Filed. $100 million gone. Boom. Gone. Can you believe that? $100 million in financing. And you see these businesses, you go, how can you be in a business that can go out of business? And the only reason I'm bringing this up, guys, I want you to think about what, what businesses are you in? Where is your money getting invested? What are you putting it into? Here's one. The second one on this list is Paper Source, headquarters in Chicago, Illinois, employees 1,700 employees, location 158 stores, date filed March 2nd, 2021. It was founded in 1983, sells greeting cards, invitations, gift wrap paper, crafts, craft supplies, and related products. Most of its stores were forced to temporarily close during the pandemic, putting the squeeze on the retail. The company reportedly sought rent breaks from landlords and stretched the payment terms with vendors. However, with more than $100 million in debt and $36 million in annual lease costs, Paper Source was forced to Chapter 11, bankruptcy protection. So, by the way, when you read all these, it was common across all of these. There was too much debt and too much overhead. So all these businesses that had these big boxes, big offices, and I found during the pandemic, the thing that we did was, is that we just stopped using our offices. In fact, we had come up to the point where some of our leases were due, and we said, you know what, let's cut our leases in half or get rid of them completely, you know, because we can do business without office space. We need seminar room space where we can have our seminars, but we don't really need offices. People can work from home for offices. So you can see this commonality here, but let's go on. There's more of them here that is coming. Here's one, my favorite, CC's Pizza. I love CC's Pizza when my daughter was a kid. It's a buffet place, uh, but most pizza places thrive during the pandemic. Why? Because home delivery. And they just rocked it, grew their business during the pandemic. But CC's is a buffet where you have to go to and where you have a sneeze chart or plastic sneeze thing over the top of the pizza and everybody's handling the pizza with their hands and stuff. Just, you know, a COVID stir pot of infection. So CC's uh, from Texas, says Copeland, Texas, I know 318 number of locations. Many pizza chains thrive during the pandemic. Pizza was always a popular takeout option with pizza chains already specialized in delivery. They were perfectly positioned for this. But CeCe's different. Texas-based chain is a buffet restaurant. While sit-down restaurants struggled, buffet-style entries were squeezed to the point they had no recovery. So another talk about here, they filed for Chapter 11, carrying between 50 million and 100 million in liabilities. Again, how did these companies get up to 100 million dollars in liabilities? I just don't understand that. 
You know, they just, they're spending and spending and spending and spending and spending. The next one is Christopher and Banks. It's a clothing store out of Minnesota, 3,000 employees, 400 locations. The clothing company entered into Chapter 11 bankruptcy between January 14th, the result of financial distress resulting from pandemic and its ongoing impact. Unable to find a buyer, the company said in January that it planned to close 400 stores. Whew. 400 stores gone. Unbelievable. And I'm just looking at this stuff, and I'm, I'm, it's blowing my mind, guys. I'm just looking at it. It's blowing my mind. We've got other ones here. You know of FC Holdings, which is another clothing store out of Houston, Texas. They're losing 700 locations. Guitar Center, one of my favorite stores of all time, sells instruments. I used to go in and buy guitars. They're closing down 269 stores. CBL Associates, I don't even know what that is. Uh... Looks like handbags and women's clothes. Friendlies, restaurants, right? It's going out of business. Here's one, Century 21. Man, you just hear this, you go like, man, Steinmart. Steinmart in every corner, how many stores they got? 279 locations, that's not that many. So you see what I mean? I mean, these businesses, are name brand businesses. Boom, gone. There is a dream killer here somewhere today. You're going to run into somebody that's going to tell you this stuff doesn't work. Like Vinette said, it's a scam. This is probably a multi-level marketing program. Somebody is going to tell you it doesn't work because you're the wrong race, the wrong age, the wrong sex, the wrong sexual preference, the something or other. And this is all set up so rich people can be successful and all you poor People can't. And if you believe that, they've won. But if you don't, you win. Don't believe the dream killers. Start winning today with the Lifestyles Unlimited free workshop. Get the knowledge you need to replace your income in two to five years, and then find out how to take action. Register for the free online workshop at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Today we're talking about wrapping up the year end and figuring out what you can do with the profits. You know, it's time enough for counting when the deal is done. Well, the deal is done, the counting's done, and the money's in the bank. It's time to figure out what to do with it. And you start looking at your options. Now, um, I already shared with you my options. I've, you know, I've made some offers on some apartment complexes, made some offers on some grocery stores. So I've already taken my steps, but also shared with you looking at other businesses and thinking, hmm, because, you know, when you get in the, the realm of commercial real estate, there's lots of stuff out there that you can choose from to buy and own. But some of that stuff's risky. Well, let's put it all of it's risky to some extent. Some of it's much more risky than other stuff to a much greater extent, right? And so we, we looked around at that and, you know, you, you evaluate that risk level and so forth and, and make a decision on what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. But the one thing you can't do is just leave your money sitting there doing nothing. That's the one least beneficial position to be in. You need to get your money out there doing something, right? The next thing we look forward to is cash flow. And I remember sitting there one day and I had, a, I think it was some crazy amount of money, $30 million in cash, I think, was sitting in my bank account. I just sold a couple apartments or something. I had some cash just hanging out. And um, I just said, you know what? I've got this sitting in the savings account over here at Wells Fargo and they're paying me like 0. 0.0035 or something like that, a third of a percent, I think is what it was. And uh, 
And I said, I wonder if I can do better. Maybe I just put in a short-term CD. You know, and I looked at short-term CDs, and they weren't much better. I looked at long-term CDs. Oh, I can't put in a long-term CD because I'm going to buy something with it pretty soon. I'm going to buy an apartment, you know, and I'm going to need the money. So I can't really lock it up for long-term like that. I just need to park it somewhere for a short period of time while I'm looking. So I got online. I looked at what the highest-paying, highest-yielding in, uh, interest payment accounts were, and like high-interest savings accounts. And what I noticed as I started to research it was there was some stuff that was as high as 1%. And so I moved my money over to that, and I kept looking. And I didn't want all my money in one savings account. I mean, $30 million in one account is ridiculous. If that would ever go wrong, the bank would go out. And the banks do go bankrupt, by the way. <laughs> they go out of business, too. So I, I needed to put it somewhere. So I think I spread it out over like 17 or 18 accounts. And I had a interest rate. But as I was doing it, interest rates had been rising. So by the time I got to the end, I had about an average interest rate of 2%. And some of it was as high as 25 3%, 2.75, something like that. Now, let's just take... Two and a half percent here and play with this for a second. You got 30 million bucks at two and a half percent. It's kind of blew my mind because I, I didn't plan this. This was not a plan. And don't listen to this and say, okay, this is an investment strategy. It's not. It was just something I ran into. So I had 30 million times, let's say, 0.025 percent was $750,000 a year divided by 12. All of a sudden, I was bringing in $62,000 a month. I go, 62000 a month to do nothing? I go, that's insane. That is insane. So I had a friend that was in some commercial real estate. I go, man, this doing nothing stuff is kind of fun. That's even more fun than owning an apartment because you're doing nothing. A triple net lease means the tenant pays the taxes, the insurance, the maintenance, and the repair. You do nothing, literally nothing except get a check in the mail. So I said, let me look into this. My friend's got some of these things, and he's always telling me how, about how great they are. So I started looking into them, and I found that I could buy commercial real estate up into seven, 6 and 7% rate of returns. And interestingly enough, if you look at this situation, apartments at the time, the cap rates were going down. They were going down, 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 down. But these cap rates weren't because... People just weren't buying grocery stores, I guess, whatever. And so I figured it out real quick and was playing a little game on the calculator again. I said, okay, well, what happens if I do that? Let's take $30 million, buy a few grocery stores, and times 0.065%. And all of a sudden, you're making $1,950,000 divided by 12, making $162,000 a month. I go, get out of here. I'm making right now a third of a percent. Let's just figure this out. A third of a percent on 30 million times 0. 0.0035, which was 105,000 a year divided by 12. I'm making about eight grand a month, and I could be making 160 grand a month and doing nothing with that money. I mean, nothing. Checks in the mail kind of money. And that's when I realized it. The difference between a half a percent and even 5% return is astronomical. It's unbelievably different. And so I started buying these stores. And it just blows my mind. <laughs> it's just, you're buying cash flow. And I got up to seven of these stupid things. It's about 10 grand a month. Each one of them pays me just roughly. And I, I go to the, the mailbox. And the weirdest thing in the world is, is that the checks are there in the first of the month. Because unlike tenants who pay you by the fourth of the month or the fifth of the month, Commercial real estate's due by the 1st. In other words, they got to mail it on the 28th or 29th, whatever. It's got to be there by the 1st. So here I am, the 1st of the month. I open the mailbox, and there's $70,000. And 
And I'm like, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. I mean, in apartments, we have to go collect the rent. Either they bring it to us in the office and we give them a receipt for it, or we go to the door and knock and ask for it, or they pay it through the bank, you know, in a draft of some kind. But we have to go account for it, add it all up, make sure we've got it all. Then we have to pay all the bills and make sure all the bills are paid. And then after we've gone and got all the money and then we paid all the bills, now there's some left over and we get it. That's after we pay the mortgage. But this, I quite simply get a check in the mail. That's it. So to me, it was like, you know, what is the value? How much more return? How much more return is the value of something like that? And what I'm talking about is the value of your time to not have to do anything, to not have to operate a business. Now, I don't operate my businesses, but I have to pay somebody who does. So again, that cuts into the money, so on and so forth. So the cash flow scenario is one thing. Now, the apartments, they cash flow also. Don't get me wrong. You just have more steps to get to the cash flow. So here's two different options. And by quite frankly, because of the tax benefits are so much greater on the apartments, i got to keep going with the apartments. I like to throw these other ones in just for pure cash flow. But i got to go with the apartments for the, because they have so much higher tax benefit. So now we go to the next level. We go to capital gains. The apartments are going up in value so rapidly right now, it's blowing my mind. I, I, I won't even make that a seminar today. That's not even part of what I'm going to talk about. But the, just take my word for it. Like I said, I paid 120000 a door three years ago for the same stuff I'm paying 220000 a door for right now. That's how fast they've got in value. In just three years, they've doubled in value. Just mind-boggling. So there's massive capital gain. But on the same thing is true on these grocery stores. These grocery stores are now selling for only a 4.5% return compared to they were selling 65 So they've gone up 2%. So let's take a look and see how much that is in capital gains. Let's take 2.5% increase on $30 million. $30 million times 0.025, and that is $750,000. They've gone up in one year. In one year, they've gone up $750,000. So there's some capital gains there, too. Three quarters of a million dollars in one year. Now, the apartments did it in three years, so it was 100% in three years, so it's only like 33% a year. But what percent increase is that on these? Because if these were a 6.5 cap rate and now they're 4.5 cap rate, they lost the 2%, 2 of 6. Let's take 2 and divide it by 6. That's a 33% increase in value in a year. So within three years, it's going to be a 100% increase if it keeps up that pace. Now, guys, you just think about whatever your net worth is. Put it down on a spreadsheet. Just do this. Whatever your net worth is, take it and put it there and then go, okay. 33% compounded every year. See where that takes you in five or 10 years. I think you're going to see you need to be in real estate of some type. We're talking about year-end accounting and uh, planning for the next year's growth. And every year you do have to plan for more growth. And th- you know the, the cycle you have to keep in mind is, is that you make your money, you invest your money, you live off a very small portion of your returns. Any money I make in all my businesses stays in the business till the end of the year. I live off distributions, cash flow distributions, and 
then at the end of the year, take all the profits out of the businesses and uh, buy more businesses with it, basically. So, like, right now, I've got a new software company we're starting up. Uh, that'll take a while to get going. By the way, while we were at break, I got notice that I got the four grocery stores, so I got four more grocery stores I got to get bought. That's going to take me a while to get those done because we got to build them. They're brand new. You build them from the ground up. We've got the expansion of my old businesses. Uh, Lifestyles is a consulting and mentoring and education program is growing rapidly. We're growing all over the country with that. Real estate companies, we started four new real estate sales firms last year in different cities. And we'll start a few more this year around the country, filling in so that our members have places they can buy real estate in different parts of the country through us, uh, help them buy investment properties. That's all growing. So all my companies that I have, we try to grow, and then we start new ones, and then we buy more real estate deals. And you just keep growing and growing and growing. But the, the, the oddball thing about that is that each year you make more money than you made the last year. And that happens for the rest of your life. Every year for the rest of your life, you make more money than you made the year before. Now, if you tie that to my system of when I first started, I only lived on 50% of what I made. So I invested the other 50% of what I took home. And then when I got to where I was making over $100,000 a year in passive income, I started living on only a 10th of the passive income and my earned income. And then I got off of my earned income completely. And, you know, I got to where now I'm probably living off a 10th of everything I earn altogether all the way around maybe even less. Um, but each year since I make more, that one-tenth is a larger number. And so we have the ability to expand our cost of living if we want to. Sometimes it's weird because you get yourself into these little freaky conditions where you don't spend money. You have a, a level which you feel comfortable at. And to break out of that level is out of your comfort zone. And you really have to push yourself out of that comfort zone if you really want to get out of it. But sometimes you just don't really care. Like, for example, I've got four nice cars. None of them are super expensive cars, but I got four nice cars and two trucks and two cars. And I love them. And I really don't want anything else. I think my wife wants a more expensive car. I think she wants a Bentley or something like that. And she'll get one eventually. It's just a matter of, I, just, I don't put a place a lot of value in that. My house is 16,000 square feet with a 20-car garage. I can't see myself, myself, my wife, and our six cats and one dog needing a place much bigger than that. It's large enough for all of our family to come visit us in the holidays and have everybody over. So I just don't know why we need anything bigger. Would I buy one? Well, I almost bought a $20 million home. I just love the house. It was so incredible. Got beat out by the guy that owns like the New York Mets. So I think he uh, outbid me by a million bucks on the deal. I think I bid 19 million. He bid 20 million or he bid 21 million or something like that. So I didn't get that. And listen, okay, I didn't get it. If I would have got it for the price I was willing to pay for it, I would have bought it. The point I'm making is there's really no need to grow my standard of living if I really don't want it to grow. I don't desire a plane and I don't really have a business where having a plane is really a wise investment for me. Some businesses, it makes all the sense in the world if you're traveling all over the place. I don't. I don't have a key to any business I own. I don't go work in them or on them. So I don't need a plane to get around. I don't like yachts. I mean, they're cool. I mean, it's pretty sometimes when you're out on them, but I don't like to take care of them. Just the maintenance of those things is just unbelievable. It's like not something I get dollar of joy for dollar invested kind of thing. So, you know, you say, well, those are all, you, you say that because 
you really can't afford them. Yeah, you're right, because I can't afford them to the level where I can just let somebody else take care of them and me not even think about it. You're right. So I'm not wealthy enough to afford a jet and a yacht and that kind of stuff and four houses all around the world. So you're right. That's probably an excuse. But the reality is it's the excuse I'm at right now in my life, and for now I'm comfortable with that. But every year, maybe a year or two or three down the lines, my businesses keep growing. Maybe I say, like, you know, i got to throw some of this money away, go buy something like that. Maybe. Don't know. I've never put it down. Because what I don't want to do is limit myself and say I'm not going to be something or do something someday. Because I'm already a place I never dreamed I could get. And because I never dreamed I could get there, being here is total satiation. And so every year I have to look out at this time of the year and create the new dream. You need a new plan with a new dream that's bigger, that's larger, that's taking you somewhere you want to go. And so I have all kinds of dreams. I have some neat dreams, too. I have some give-back dreams. I have a lot of really neat give-back dreams that I want to give back to society. And, uh, you know, they're, they're my little give-back dreams. And I don't have time to go through them all today, but someday I probably will. And, and show you what I think is important and how I think I can help other people and give back to society. Besides the fact that I teach people how to retire in two to five years, that's pretty much a give-back also. But within that, you have to see that you, each year, need to sit down right now. This is the week. This week, you need to create the plan. And you need to create the plan keeping this in mind. It's not the pile of money in the bank that means anything. It's the quality of the lifestyle you live and the passive income you have to support that quality of life. Now, from the files of Del Wamsley. 40% of Americans take one vacation a year. Okay, 40%. The other 60% don't take any vacations. Can you imagine that? 60% of Americans don't even take any vacations. We're in Europe. I think there's some city or some places in Europe where they close the entire country down for like a month or two for everybody to take vacations. It's just strange how workaholic we are here in this country. Those vacations are, on average, not longer than four days. So in an entire year, you get four days of relaxation, and or that's only 40%, 60% take no vacation at all. Now, within the 40%, there's a 28 percentile of everybody who gets three vacations or more a year. Again, the average length of vacation for Americans is about four days or less. So even at three, that's only 12 days off during the entire year out of 360 days. So that seems to me to be a little unbalanced until I thought back about when I worked and I had a job in corporate America and it just blew my mind. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. The information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.